Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I'm filling in for Allie and Dr. James here on Drop the Subject all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. Some of you may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen or VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen or maybe even the Dr. Jen shows, which I hosted for many years. I'm also an author. I wrote a book called The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. Also, Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, and the A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids. I also wrote a children's book called Rockin' Babies with my Grammy Award-winning songwriter mom, Cynthia Weil. In addition to all that, I have an InStyle magazine column called Hump Day with Dr. Jen that comes out every Wednesday on Hump Day. I'm a mother of twins, but most importantly... I am a licensed psychotherapist, and I am here to answer all of your questions about anything and everything that is on your mind. No topic is off limits. Feel free to email me your questions at askdrjen at drjenman.com. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man, and it's D-R-J-E-N-N at D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. Ask Dr. Jen at drjenman.com, or post them on my social media, which is at Dr. Jen Mann, D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. I'd like to talk a little bit today about trust, about how important trust is in a relationship and how to build it. Trust is very complex, and it really can only be built up with good, consistent behavior over time. And look, nobody is perfect. Patterns of behavior speak volumes. And there are a few things that you need to know in order to nurture trust in your relationship. The first is don't be judgmental. You know, a lot of the time we think about trust, we just think about fidelity and breaking those kind of promises. But trust is a lot bigger than that. Trust is is much more broad. Can I trust you to keep my secrets? Can I trust you when I tell you something that is hard for me to talk about that's embarrassing that I feel shame about. So not being judgmental is really a core tenant in developing trust. Seek to understand your partner and be open to his or her thoughts, fantasies, opinion, even if you don't understand or agree with them. Create an anticipation of acceptance. When you've shown yourself to be a consistently open-minded partner who doesn't judge, your partner is going to grow to accept the best of you and believe that you're going to accept him or her warts and all, and they're far more likely to be open with you, and that helps develop trust on both ends. The other thing is create a couple bubble, as I call it. What I mean by a couple bubble is that you come first for each other. Your partner is the first person with whom you share information. You don't share private details about your life together with others. Other people don't know need to know about your sex life or problems that you've had or details about fights that you've had. You protect your relationship from others who might try to harm it in any way, any incoming missiles, and you make each other a priority. The third thing is maintain the sexual agreements that you have made. If you're in a monogamous relationship, stick to that. If you're in an open relationship, stick to the rules that you've made with that agreement. The fourth is, and this is a big one. Don't disappear, stonewall, or go MIA. Abandonment creates anxiety and mistrust. Blocking out your partner prevents you from working through conflict as a couple, which is a critical connection-building skill. Fifth, 
don't make threats. Don't threaten to leave, to hook up with other people, to take a break, to go back with an ex, to withhold sex, to abandon your partner. None of that. That should not be on the table. That is not fighting fairly. Six, be consistently loving and kind. This goes a long way towards creating strong connection between two partners. And I know it's not easy in a pandemic. We're all under enormous stress, but do your best to err on the side of kindness. It is impossible to have a meaningful romantic relationship with someone you cannot trust. I get a lot of messages on social media. Hey, this happened, that happened. I can't trust my partner. Is our relationship doomed? What do we need to do? Intimacy is based on the ability to be open and vulnerable. And when that doesn't occur, the relationship inevitably hits a roadblock. You have to have trust to be willing to take those kinds of risks. When trust has existed, but is then broken, what ends up happening generally depends on four factors. One is how much emotional capital the couple has in the bank. You know, how, how much of a history of good behavior and connection and investment did the two people have? The second is how motivated is the couple to work through the problem? If people are just kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, I don't care that much, forget about it. Working through that takes a lot of commitment and energy. And if you don't have it, it's not going to, it's not going to help. It's not going to change. It doesn't magically solve itself. The third is, the ability to make amends. This is something that a lot of adults are not great at. Knowing how to make a sincere, heartfelt apology that really shows that you understand the harm that you have done to allow the other person to talk about what that was like for them, to show empathy, to create a plan, a living amends, which is a plan of action to make sure that you don't do that again, that is crucial. And then last but not least, whether or not the couple is able to use the incident to rebuild the relationship. In my experience, couples who have a breach of trust, but then use it to really evaluate the relationship and say, okay, this was a terrible thing, but it did not occur in a bubble. It, this is part of the dance that we do together as a couple. What is lacking in our relationship? to do a deep dive analysis on both parts to see where is the system faulty? Where is it not working that allowed this breach of trust? I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Allie and Dr. James while they are on vacation here on Drop the Subject. Coming up next, I am going to be answering a question from a woman whose marriage has become more like a roommate situation than anything else. They are like two ships passing in the night. I'm going to offer her some advice. Don't go anywhere. This is Drop the Subject, and I'm Dr. Jen Mann, and I'll be right back. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I am filling in for Allie and Dr. James on Drop the Subject all this week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you lots of advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, the usual, at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I got this really interesting email. We'll call her Jane Doe. And she writes and says, hi, first of all, thank you so much for taking your time and giving us your free advice. You're welcome. Um, I have been with my husband for 10 years and only married for one. It seems like we are more roommates than a married couple. 
I feel like we've gotten lost in the routine and we don't know what to do and are stuck. We tell each other what we want, but neither of us does anything about it. I think we're both just scared to be vulnerable. He tells me that he feels depressed, but I genuinely don't know how to help him. I feel like I'm a strong person and I handle my own inner problems, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do when he tells me that he's depressed. Thanks for listening. We're going to call her Jane Doe. Jane, first of all, it sounds like the two of you are really disconnected, that this sounds like a marriage where you are like two ships passing in the night. Connection is one of the most important things in a marriage. It is the glue that keeps two people together. And it just sounds like you guys aren't going deep enough to really create much of a connection. You know, I always say it's not love until it's vulnerable. And vulnerability is really required for two people to really get close and have the kind of bond that most people want to have. The question is, why are you guys both so scared to be vulnerable? Is there stuff from either of your past that you haven't worked through, whether it's your childhood or pain from a a previous relationship? And why haven't you worked through it? One of you is going to have to be the leader and be the one who changes the pattern. I'm going to encourage you, Jane, to be the leader. You wrote to me. So to me, that means that you are inspired enough by the pain that you're experiencing and the frustration to take action. And if you were able to take action by reaching out to me, which I really appreciate and I'm very honored, then you can be the leader. You can use that same strength to be the leader in your relationship. Now, on the flip side, I'm going to challenge you. You say that you are a strong person, but here's the thing. Strong people step out of their comfort zone. You don't sound like you're stepping out of your comfort zone when you say that you guys keep saying you're going to do things for each other and neither of you does anything different and you're afraid of being vulnerable. I think you're just as stuck as he is. Be the person who gets the both of you unstuck. A system with two people just kind of keeps going in the same circle over and over and over again. It only takes one person to change the whole system. If you start being vulnerable, if you start having the kinds of conversations that you've never had before, then you're going to be that one. And what I encourage you to do is, you know, I talk about this a lot in my book, The Relationship Fix. The way we get connected is by having conversations where we disclose private, vulnerable things about ourselves and we trust that other person. Sometimes couples who get in a rut like the two of you are in don't know where to start when it comes to having more intimate conversations. In my book, The Relationship, I have in one of the appendices a list of 34 questions that were written by a researcher named Arthur Aaron. If you don't have my book or don't want to download the book or buy the book, Google it and you can find the questions online progressive level of openness and intimacy is what creates a bond between two people. And you and your husband are not doing that. And I want to encourage you to push yourself to be vulnerable, to be the leader in the relationship. One other thing I want to really mention to you is the issue of depression. And if your partner is truly depressed, he needs help. And he also needs to know that you view him getting help as a strength, not a weakness. I'm a little nervous because in your email, you made a comment to me that was a red flag. You said, I feel like I'm a strong person and I handle my own inner problems. 
at least how I'm reading it, is it sounds like you view handling your problems on your own as a strength. And my concern is that your husband may see getting help for his depression as a weakness, when in fact that's not the case. In my eyes, there's nothing stronger than someone who is depressed or suffering with any kind of mental health issue who has the strength and the courage to face their demons and go see a therapist and do the work on themselves and also to take that that risk and to be vulnerable to a professional and to work on themselves. So to me, I've got a lot of respect for that. And I think that it's really important that you let your husband know that you respect that too. Understand that if money is an issue, that there are low fee clinics all around this country, that because of COVID, most of them are doing teletherapy so you can do it from the comfort and safety of your own home. I think it's really important that you hit that home with him, that you respect that and that that's an important choice because look, you're not a therapist. And even if you were, this is your husband, you can't do therapy on your own husband, but he needs some help and he needs some support But I do think that you guys can get this back on track. You know, I think that my chapter on connection in my book, The Relationship Fix, could be really helpful to you. But really encourage him to get help. You guys spend more time connecting and talking on a deeper level. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I am here on Drop the Subject, filling in for Allie and Dr. James while they are on vacation. And after this break, I'm going to be answering a call, not an email, but a call from Eric, who feels stuck in his career and doesn't have the self-esteem to make the changes that he is dreaming of. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. You're on with Dr. Jen here on Drop the Subject. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am happy to have you here. Tell me what is going on. Yeah. So like, just with all this stuff going on lately, and I just turned 31, and I'm not really fulfilled with my like profession. Like I do very well just like every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, waking up in the morning, just kind of like this depressed, like, oh, here we go again with this. And I do really want to take a chance and, you know, kind of bet on myself and do something on my own. It's just, I don't, I've been like really struggling to have the confidence to be able to like step out on that ledge. So I was just wondering what advice you would give in order to, I guess, for lack of a better statement, the tools or like, you know, some, some steps to be able to, you know, gain that confidence and get a little bit more confidence and belief in myself. Sure. And, and let me ask you something, this confidence thing, is that a new thing or an old thing? I think it's probably something that's been probably like for the past, like five years, ever since I left uh, grad school and, you know, came into the workforce. So you were confident while you were in grad school, but then once you kind of entered the workforce, that was when your confidence took a dip. Yeah, I had a couple of bad situations earlier on in my career, a couple of struggles and everything. And even though I got past them and eventually put myself in a better situation, it kind of had a couple of chinks in the armor that like now when something goes bad or something doesn't go my way or I have a bad day at work, it just it just kind of like gathers steam and momentum. And, you know, I just my confidence is a little bit shaken. Though. So with those incidents that happened that eroded your confidence, what did those things mean to you about you yeah i think before that like i kind of always had things really came easily to me whether it was sports whether it was school internships whatever like that and then when i started having those struggles and things weren't really going my way 
I think it just kind of made me think less of myself, like, oh, maybe you're not as talented or not as good as you think you are. So what is your vision of how one's career should go in terms of hardship and overcoming obstacles? I think that's definitely a part of it. And I think I've definitely learned a lot about myself being able to get past those. I just, I think that no matter what you do, if it's anything worthwhile, you're always going to struggle. My issue was, was kind of using that as an excuse to, you know, get out of bed an hour later, you know, not really put a hundred percent in some days because I was still licking my wounds from days or weeks before. But I definitely think that that's a very important part of anybody's career. It's just using those tribulations and stuff like that as a learning experience and not, you know, using it as a way to like down myself and everything. But you say that it's expected that one will have stumbling blocks, that you're going to have failures. That's a normal part of the learning curve, but it seems like you're holding them against yourself. Why are you holding them against yourself? I don't know. I think it's just because I feel... I guess like you look at everybody else and you obviously don't see what they're going through, but I would have peers of mine that didn't seem like they were struggling as much or they were having as bad as the time. So I I felt like while they might've been struggles, I also felt like it might've been a reflection on me. Like, Hey, maybe this isn't happening to everybody. You know, I mean, look, there's an expression in AA. They say, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. In my experience, I've been a therapist for about three decades now. And I have seen a lot of people and I've seen a lot of extremely successful people. And and I call it the myth of the perfect life that we tend to project onto other people that they have this perfect life and things are going smoothly and easily. And I remember one time even having a client in my office saying, she was talking about a celebrity and she was saying she has such an easy life and she has such a great life. And I wish I were her and she has a perfect relationship and the perfect career and the perfect this and the perfect that and no hardship. And unbeknownst to her, that person was coming into my office two hours later and was crying about her frustrations with her career and her boyfriend and her this and her that. My impression with you is that there was something about these hardships that you went through that it changed your self-concept you have held this against yourself for a long period of time. It sounds like for about five years. You need to look at whatever it was that you went through differently. To me, it's a badge of honor. And look, the truth is, I don't know anyone who's had it easy. There may be some people out there that do. I just haven't encountered them. You need to view these hardships as a badge of honor. How great that you had these failures so that you could learn from them, so you could appreciate your successes more, so that you could have the experience of overcoming things, to me, that is so much more valuable. The other thing is, you know, I'm a big believer in don't wait to feel more confident, act as if. A lot of the time, it's the action that we take that when we do esteemable acts, that when we do something that's difficult, when we master something that we struggle with, when we push ourselves to accomplish something that we didn't think we could do, when we take a risk, those are the things that actually build our confidence. And I think that you, you need to really not wait to feel that, but instead act as if. Look, wherever you go, there you are. You can change professions, but if you don't change internally and you don't change the way you look at yourself, your failures, your successes, and everything around you, then nothing's going to change. So Eric, right. thank you so much for calling the show. I really appreciate your question. It's such a good one. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I am filling in for Allie and Dr. James here on Drop the Subject 
all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I want to take a, a moment to talk to you about a fascinating news story. And look, I'm a family therapist, a couples therapist. I also do individual therapy. But this story kind of covers it all. And it's quite fascinating. We all know Kellyanne Conway, who is a counselor to Donald Trump. We also, many of us have heard of her husband, George Conway, who runs the Lincoln Project or does consulting for the Lincoln Project and is very actively involved, which is an anti-Trump organization that puts out some pretty amazing and powerful videos. If you haven't seen them, you may want to check them out. They have a daughter named Claudia Conway. She's 15 years old and is very popular on social media and has really come out speaking against her mother, her mother's political views, and things have kind of spiraled out of control. It's become a very fascinating story that actually touches a lot of political organizations, a lot of people, and not to mention that, you know, look, we all have our family systems that work and don't work. We have healthy stuff and unhealthy stuff in all of our families, and this has been kind of aired to the public due to largely TikTok, some Instagram. So what happened was that apparently Claudia learned that her mother would be speaking at the Republican convention. And she tweeted and said, I am devastated that my mother's actually speaking at the RNC, like devastated beyond compare. So then she said, I'm officially pushing for emancipation. Buckle up because this is probably going to be public one way or another. Unfortunately, welcome to my life. Now, keep in mind that Claudia has 89,000 Instagram followers, 296,000 Twitter followers, more than 600,000 TikTok followers. As we know, Trump has been talking about knocking off TikTok and making it unavailable in the U.S., And Claudia has been talking about all of her family issues on social media. So she's been very publicly outspoken against her mother, her mother's politics, the administration, and then recently made this announcement that she was going to be emancipated. Shortly thereafter, if you have not already heard, Kelly Ann Conway then announced that she would be leaving the White House and would be taking some time to focus on her family. In addition to that, her husband, George, also tweeted something, and he said that he's withdrawing from the Lincoln Project so he can spend more time with his family, and says, needless to say, I continue to support the project and its mission very passionately. So on top of that, what led to this was that Claudia said she wants to be emancipated and then announced publicly that her parents were hoping to get a divorce. But now they've called it off because it is their strategy to prevent her from being emancipated. I mean, needless to say, this involves a lot of family systems that are clearly not working. Unfortunately, and very sadly, Claudia is claiming, she's alleging that Kellyanne has been physically abusive. She's saying that 
she's not making these choices because of Kellyanne's politics or George's politics, but she is alleging that Kellyanne has been physically abusive with her, that George doesn't care about her and has been somewhat negligent with her. So look, all of this occurs in a system. Whatever anyone does in a family system, it affects everyone. And in this family, in the Conway family, there are four children and two parents. And so anything that anyone does affects everyone. And when one person is in pain, it impacts everybody. You can't neglect your child, abuse your child. And I'm not saying that this is true or not true, but there are plenty of families in this country where abuse has happened and does happen. And we know that the rates of abuse have gone up enormously since we have been quarantined. So clearly there is something that is very dysfunctional in this family system. I hope that they are able to get help. I hope that they find themselves an excellent family therapist and do the work that is needed to do because there is clearly a lot of pain and devastation in this family that needs to be addressed. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Ali and Dr. James here on Drop the Subject. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman whose partner lies about the smallest things like the temperature on the thermostat and just may be lying about something far more significant. Don't go anywhere. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jed Mann. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy or VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I am here this week filling in for Allie and Dr. James on Drop the Subject. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, at Dr. Jen Man, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I received an email from someone we'll call Shia, and Shia is going through it. Here's what she says. I don't know what to do, Dr. Jen. I've been dating a guy for a year and a half, and he has not been faithful to me. He continues to tell me he has my back. I can trust him and then lies about little things like what temperature he set the thermostat to. Needless to say, he was majorly affected by divorce and has never processed that trauma. He's in therapy weekly now. I love him like I've never loved and have been married before. I see his good side, sweet, thoughtful, sensitive side, and all the laughs and joys we experience together. I'm at war with myself because I know that staying is accepting it. I don't even think I'd care if he was upfront about what he's up to. We agreed to that in the beginning before becoming exclusive. How do I manage being with a guy that proves that he can't be trusted? How do I walk away from a love and compatibility I never experienced in my 43 years? I ended things recently and it was the longest, worst week of my life. So empty feeling. Such a huge hole was noticed in my life. Are my feelings real or morphed into what I think they are based on my own childhood issues? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Well, thank you, Shia. I really appreciate your your honesty and your openness. Here's the bottom line. Where there is no trust, there is no relationship. I'm not talking about like, do these jeans make my butt look big kind of lies. Hey, those are sometimes necessary in a relationship, but I'm talking about core issues. These are not things that are acceptable to lie about 
in a relationship. When you make a commitment to be monogamous, that's not something that you break. And it sounds like he is breaking it ongoing consistently that this is a pattern of behavior. You've managed to attach yourself to someone who is disrespectful, dishonest, sneaky, and then describe him as sweet, sensitive, and thoughtful. This tells me a lot about you and your self-esteem. It doesn't matter how much joy and laughter you have together. This is not love. Love is mutually respectful. Love is not what this man is doing to you. Everyone makes mistakes, but this is a pervasive pattern of dishonesty and deceit. And these are big deceits. These are court issue deceits. So when you say, if I stay, is that accepting it? Yes. Staying is accepting it. But I want you to shift your focus. I think when you say that, my impression is that your focus is that sending the message to him that it's acceptable, which is bad enough as it is. Don't get me wrong. But to me, what's far worse is the message you're sending to yourself, that you're telling yourself that it is acceptable to allow a man to treat you this way. And that's the kind of message that tears away your self-esteem. And you deserve better than that. You know, you you ask, how do you manage with a guy that can't be trusted? You don't. You really have two choices. One is to leave. And if you leave, you have to tolerate the grief. You have to tolerate the loss. You have to tolerate the pain. Or you stay and you accept his BS. You know, but understand, you are signing his BS on the dotted line. What I want you to understand about option one, which is to leave, is that when you walk away, the pain you experience, that's what we call grief. It is gut-wrenching. That is why people write songs about it. That's why people curl up on the floor in fetal position and cry their eyes out after a breakup. That's why people go through Haagen-Dazs ice cream by the pintful. That's why people drown their sorrows in things they shouldn't like, alcohol and drugs and all kinds of stuff that's self-destructive. We do that because the pain is so oftentimes intolerable, but you have to tolerate it. You have to tolerate it to get to the other side. I suspect that given the magnitude of your grief, that there are a lot of unresolved grief-related issues in your history. Perhaps people who have abandoned you that you never got to grieve, people who disappointed you that you never got to grieve. I suspect that there are a lot of unresolved issues, especially from your childhood. And I want to recommend that you seek therapy. I always recommend that everybody get one year of weekly therapy, and there are low-fee clinics all around this country. So I really hope, Shia, that you will get yourself into therapy because if you don't have right now the strength to leave, look, I get it. It's hard. It's painful. But you need to set up the support system so that if you do, it's in place. And also to explore what it is that got you here, what it is in your history, and what you need to do to lift your self-esteem high enough so that tolerating this kind of BS is so unacceptable that regardless of how painful it is, regardless of how gut-wrenching, regardless of how difficult it is, you do it anyway because your well-being, that you be treated respectfully, is so much more important.
I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Allie and James here on Drop the Subject. Coming up next, I have the dating expert of the century, Patty Stanger, is going to be talking to me and giving advice to all of you about how do you date during a pandemic? What do you need to do differently? How do you handle social distancing, dating, how you get to know someone, how long do you stay online versus the phone versus texting, all that sort of stuff. She has a wealth of information and you're not going to want to miss it. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Allie and Dr. James here on Drop the Subject and I'll be right back. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Hey, this is Dr. Jen Mann. I am here on Drop the Subject sitting in for Allie and Dr. James while they're on vacation and I'm very excited about our next guest. If you've ever thought about dating, read about dating, watched a show about dating, you know her. Her name is Patty Stanger. She is a third generation matchmaker, the owner and CEO of Millionaires Club 123.com, which you're going to want to check out. She's a former vice president of marketing at Great Expectations. She's also the executive producer and the star, and I mean a big star, of the hit Bravo show, The Millionaire Matchmaker. She's also the best-selling author of Become Your Own Matchmaker, which if you have not read, if you are a single person, it is a must-read. She also has written Raise Your Desirability Factor, Seal the Deal, Find Your Match, and she's just an all-about-amazing person. Patty Stanger, thank you so much for being on the show. Patty, tell me, right now, people are hungry for companionship. We're in the middle of a pandemic. What do people need to know to date successfully during a pandemic? Um, The first thing that they need to know is that, you know, everybody puts everything into online. That's really only 30% of your search. You know, as much as we're in COVID and it's a really, really rough time, you can still flirt on the grocery store line. You can still meet someone at a gas station. You can still meet someone at CVS. Don't give up the hope that that unexpected person Uh, who delivers a package to the wrong house or, you know, something goes wrong or you're taking a walk in your neighborhood and you bump into someone that you never saw before because everyone is not working, everyone is lonely that are single, and everyone's Mm -hmm. looking right now. So there's no distractions. As I've talked to people, clients, as I've talked to people out in the world, that there is a really wide variety of how seriously people are taking the virus, how strictly people are quarantining, Mm -hmm. what people are doing in terms of social distancing. How do you handle that when it comes to getting to know someone that you don't really know that's a potential date? And how important is it that you're on the same page in terms of like risk factors and stuff with COVID? I start by this. First, get on the phone. And if you can't get on the phone with the person and all they're doing is texting, they're lying about something, they're hiding something, they're married, they're dating, you know, they're not who they say they are, okay? (laughs) Then you go straight to the video chat. Once you know you have chemistry to admit like, oh, he's cute, she's cute, I'd go out with her, then you get to the date. And that's when I say, try to get a COVID test, don't make the date within the next night, do a 48-hour COVID test, and then go out to the mass date. And like, there's not a lot of options right now. So if he's buying you a hot dog and a beer, that's really big deal, because most of the chain restaurants and the big restaurants are going out of business. So the key is, it's the really great time to focus in. There's not a lot of stimulation going on. You're not going to see thousands of people going through the door and standing at the bar and he's checking them out and you're checking them out. It's not going to happen. Absolutely. Look, and I do think that one of the things, and tell me if I'm wrong, 
in a certain way, if you're looking for a long-term relationship as opposed to a hookup right now, this is kind of an ideal time for you because there's a bit more of an expectation of like the courtship Mm -hmm. on the phone or FaceTime is going to go longer than it might otherwise if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. The real thing is I wouldn't recommend a hookup. You are very, very liable to get COVID. So a a COVID test, B, actually, you know, protection, obviously, we always say that. And C, um, I want to see paperwork. Bring your COVID test to the date. I want to see your paperwork. It's so true. And I think that there's a real parallel between COVID tests and STIs that so many women that I speak to say, hey, you know, I'd like to see a a test result or men, then Mm -hmm. I'd like to see a test result. And the person says like, oh, I tested, I'm fine. And then when you probe a little further, like either they only did an HIV test or they only did a herpes like they only did one or two things or nothing, or they tested a long time ago. But if you ask to see the actual test, they're going to be forthcoming because they're an honest person. And I think that that speaks to character, which is important in date. We want to take all the precautions possible and make sure the person we're meeting does. Patty, don't go anywhere because I have a lot of questions to ask you. I'm going to find out from Patty, is there anything that people should be doing differently on their actual dating profile? And also, how do we handle that feeling of scarcity? I will be right back. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. You are listening to Drop the Subject, and I'll be right back. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, here covering for Allie and Dr. James on Drop the Subject. I have the great fortune right now to be talking to Patty Stanger. You know her from Millionaire Matchmaker. You know her from her amazing book called Becoming Your Own Matchmaker. If you are single, it is a must read. You want to check it out. So Patty, right now we're in this pandemic. People are doing a lot of online dating. They seem to kind of not be doing as much of the meet people in person and need to kind of focus a little more on that when they are in situations where they might encounter someone safely given COVID. But for those people who are kind of focusing their dating, or even that's just part of the piece of the pie of dating, what should people be doing differently on their profiles during a pandemic? And also, I've heard that there is a trend of listing your status when it comes to testing. Yes, the status goes away every day. So if you can say you're COVID friendly today, but tomorrow you may not be. So I don't know if that's really going to do anything because it's not a permanent status. Okay, so let's talk about the profile. So the first thing that I see that people are really doing horribly is taking pictures of pictures from 20 years ago. I call them the, the fuzzies because the, uh-huh. they're always fuzzy. Do yeah. not do that. We need a recent current, current picture of you. You want to take a picture in the mirror, great. I don't recommend guys taking their shirts off. I think it's just you're saying all I want is sex when you, when you do that. It's great for us. We love yeah. to see what you look like. But at the end of the day, we're going, what does this guy really want? Okay. Other thing is like if you're in a Tinder, which is the largest dating app, I don't see anyone putting information. I want to know how old you are, how tall you are, you know, where'd you grow up, how many kids you have, are you divorced? You need to give some stats. If you put mm-hmm. nothing on there and just a picture I am not going to spend 21 questions of my day going through your life story because that tells me you're hiding something. you got to put something on there. The thing on the guys is if you're bald, own your baldness. We do not decease every time you have a hat picture. Stop wearing the sunglasses, girls and guys, and covering your eyes. Everybody looks good in those mirrored glasses. We want to know what you really look like. 
okay? If you're not doing a full body shot, what are you hiding downstairs, okay? If there's an elephant, there's an elephant. Let it show. I don't yeah. need to see you with tigers and bears and woodchucks. I don't need to see you <laughs> flying in the air because, you know, you once did bungee jumping and hang gliding like a mosquito. I want to just see you in our natural habitat. The best you could do is take pictures of solid color, T-shirts, dresses, jeans, and just go simple. Those things will not get dated. They'll last a lifetime. You change your hair color, you change the picture. It's just simple as that. I mean, like everybody would like a professional headshot, but you know, then you're in the acting community. So like do a nice selfie, T take a friend out to the park with natural light and take a picture by the, like, like about three, four o'clock when the light starts to go down, natural light is the best. A cloudy mm -hmm. day is actually really great, by the way, if we're taking a picture for the light. Okay. Now let's take a step back. What do you want out of this relationship? Are you looking for a long-term? Are you looking for a hookup? Are you just get out of a relationship? Are you looking to swing? Are you poly? But the most important thing that I think you need to realize is like, if you're looking for an LTR, you don't have to say marriage. You're looking for an LTR and say it on your profile. If he runs away, he's not your guy. It's as simple as that. And then there's like, you know, because we live in an artistic community in LA. So a lot of people are like comedians and actors and they make funny faces and they look like clowns and they're not sexy. Or my favorite is when a girl or a guy takes a million pictures of a bunch of hot men or women and goes, these are the kind of guys I, or girls I date. Okay. Oof. You put a picture up with other women, he's going to ask for, for the other women. So don't put any distractions in. For the person who is in a relationship right mm -hmm. now, it is having trouble, but they kind of feel like, you know, we're in a pandemic, better the devil you know than the devil you don't mm -hmm. know, feels a sense of scarcity, is afraid if they end their relationship that they're never going to meet anyone. What do you say to that person? Well, you better realize how much net worth you have that's sitting in front of you. So, you know, like if you're in a studio apartment in New York and you're using the bathroom as the neutral zone and you're going to kill each other, why? What's, what is this? It's not about COVID. It's about something else. Are your mm -hmm. needs not getting met? Are you not getting sex? Are you unhappy with the way that person is treating you, putting you down, saying, calling you names? Like you better get to the crux. Is that worth getting divorced over? If it's not, and you're just in a very heightened state of being because of COVID, you're not used to being around each other 24 seven, then you need to dial it back, have a little check-in, you know, and do a little therapy. Now there's teletherapy online. You can get a teletherapist. It's actually really cheap. A lot of these services online, or you can spend time with telling each other how much you like each other, what you want to improve on and what you love most about each other. If you stay on the positives, the negative generally can be fixed, but people don't, they go on the negatives and they spend the negative time all day long harping on it. And they forget they once loved this person and married them. That is great advice, as always. Where can people find you? They can go to Instagram. It's Patty Stanger with an I. Or they can go to millionairesclub123.com. Um, I also have a really good app. Well, actually, it's a website that's being turned into an app. It's called Attracting a Soulmate. So most times you don't get love because your mindset's off. Your conditioning from your childhood all the way to subliminal suggestions over your lifetime has blocked your love flow. So we have a subliminal hypnosis, meditation, and pep talk sessions on Attracting a Soulmate with Joe Vitelli, the star of The Secret, and Steve Jones, leading hypnotherapist, to change your mindset so that when you are dating online or going about and looking for love or you're in a relationship and it's not working, your mindset's going to change. You're going to get more relaxed 
and things aren't going to bother you as much. You know, meditation is the key to life. It really is a key to happiness. I, I have about 10 people I'm going to call immediately and <laughs> Patty Stanger, yeah. you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on no the show. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Have a nice day. Thank you. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist filling in for Allie and Dr. James on Drop the Subject here on Channel Q. I am so grateful to all of you for sending me your amazing questions and you can stay in touch with me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I have an email here from a person who we will call Rose and Rose asks, what is the best course of action to get to a place where one can let go? where they're accepting that letting go of a situation is best and moving on. How do you arrive to that place of peace where letting go happens without such a struggle? Thank you. Here's the thing, Rose. It sounds like you know you need to move on. The question is, why do you expect to do this with no struggle? The strength is in the struggle, and I know it's become a bit of a cliche, but it's true. What makes us stronger is pushing through the pain and coming out on the other side. I think that you underestimate yourself. I have no doubt you strike me as a grown woman and you don't get to be grown up without surviving pain in the past. We've all been through pain and we survive it. Why would this be any different? Don't wait to get to a place where you can let go. Let go and then be in that place. Don't expect this to be pain-free. I think that you are looking for magic, and magic doesn't exist. I think you need to embrace the pain, as crazy as that may sound. Embrace it, because it's a sign that you're a person who feels deeply. It's a sign that you're someone who is passionate, and you form deep bonds and connections, and that's something that's beautiful about you. So instead of trying to not feel something, why don't you let yourself feel it and then embrace that that's part of who you are and that that's something that you will bring to your next relationship, to everything that you do in your life, to your friendships, to your family, and that that's something that's wonderful about you. And it sounds like you're in a situation with someone that probably isn't appreciating that about you. So I really think that the bottom line is you need to feel the fear and do it anyway. Don't wait to feel like doing this. Don't wait for it to get easy. You know what you need to do. Don't wait. You'll be wasting valuable years of your life waiting to feel differently. Don't wait to feel like doing this. Don't wait for there not to be pain. Don't wait for a sign. Just do it. Like the old Nike ad, just do it. In the end, you'll be glad that you did. I think from what you've written to me, you know in your heart that whatever this is, wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever this is that you are writing about, it is not working for you. And I think you know that from the core of your being, you just want it to be easy to get out and it never will be. So don't wait for it to be easy. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I am sitting in for Allie and Dr. James, and we have more Drop the Subject coming up next. Drop the Subject. 
the new Channel Q. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, licensed psychotherapist, filling in for Allie and Dr. James on Drop the Subject. I'm so grateful to all of you for sending me your fantastic questions. You can send me more. Find me on my social media at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann. And there are instructions on how to email me or you can just post them on my social media. On today's show, we talked about trust. We talked about recreating connection in a long-term marriage that has lost it. We talked about vulnerability, commitment, fear, loss, grieving, and of course, dating in a pandemic. Tune in tomorrow as I give more advice. And if you missed anything from today, make sure to check out the podcast. Just search Drop the Subject wherever you find your podcast or on radio.com. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. Thank you so much for tuning in with me while Allie and Dr. James are on vacation. They will be back on Monday. Till then, you've got me. And even once they're back, you can still hear me on Drop the Subject. I come on each week and talk with Allie and James about all kinds of different topics and give advice. You can also follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, at Dr. Jen Mann, D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. And the show, DTS, as in Drop the Subject, show. See you all tomorrow. Thanks so much for tuning in. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q.